once in a while, it, it happens that I go too fast and I miss too much, so we're going to go over the same 16 verses we did last week. So it's either something I need to say or something you need to hear, so pay attention, all right? Acts chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, and after the uproar, it ceased. Remember the chapter before they were in Ephesus, and there was the riot, and about 25,000 people in the theater in Ephesus, and the city clerk had stepped in and calmed them down and sent them home. And that's where we are at the beginning of chapter 20. After the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone through those districts, and do we have the map? Thanks. I, I, they never know when I'm going to use the map or not, so when I do, it's always a surprise. Um, we, we talked about coming up this way, and we know that if he went through Macedonia to come back down to Corinth, he went through, probably went through Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea, and the churches there, and that's where he's, the, the, those districts, verse 2, and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece, and, and we know that to be uh, Corinth from further, well, and we'll get to that in a minute. I got a question for you. For those of you that were here last week, and, and think, before, think before you respond, okay? Think before you respond. How many of you this week were encouraged by somebody else in this body? Not, not that you think you encouraged someone, but how many of you were encouraged this week by somebody from this body? Raise your hand. Good. Good. There's a few. A few of you listened last Sunday. What did, what did Paul do here in verses 1 and 2? Before he left Ephesus, he got together with the disciples and he exhorted them, he encouraged them to stand firm. He, and that was the whole goal of the teaching of the Word of God, to teach them the Scriptures, is to make them stronger so that when Ephesians 6, when, when the, the, the fight that we have that's not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness and evil in high places, that we can stand firm. And, and how, how are we able to stand firm? Verse 2, when he, when he went through Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea on his way down to Corinth, he gave much encouragement, much, much exhortation. That's what they needed. He knew that's what they needed. But he did it to them too, so that they too could learn to stand firm and to be strong. I read, I read from a, a section from the book on Tony Moreta last week that talks about... Um, <laughs> how to discourage people. What, what, what you do that will discourage people, not encourage people. And I wanted you to hear it from him because if, if it just comes out of my mouth, then you say, oh, there's Pastor on his soapbox again or whatever. But if you know that there's other preachers that are, that are preaching and teaching about it, that you know that it's not just me. But I, I want to read something else from him today. 
I don't want to jump ahead just yet. Okay, we get to verse 3. He's he's arrived at Corinth. Uh, He spends three months there in in Corinth. Uh, He's been there before, but he spends three months there, and while he's there, he writes the book of Romans to the church in Rome. When there was a plot there formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he determined to return through Macedonia. We, we talked about, we talked about the, the fellows traveling with him, and there was a group of up to nine, and they were representatives of the different churches. I'm not going to go through and read their names again, uh, probably because I'll pronounce them differently than I did last week. <laughs> But these, these are representatives of the different churches, of the church at Corinth. Uh, Titus uh, is a relative of Paul. And, and Paul and Titus kind of represented those churches. But then there's a guy from the, from the church in Berea, a guy from the church in Philippi, and in Thessalonica. And then as they go around, there's a couple from Ephesus. And there's even a couple, if you remember back to one of the first, first couple missions trips that, that Paul went on, uh, in Lystra and Derby. Now, Timothy was from Derby, or Lystra, I'm sorry, Lystra. Timothy was, see, I can't even get the cities right. But don't, don't try personal names. Um, but, but they were all represented because they represented their church and they were carrying the offering from their church back to the church in Jerusalem. That's where they were headed. Verse 5 says, They had gone on ahead and they were waiting for us at Troas. Well, how if they went, how was there us? Well, that means that Paul has made his way back to Philippi. And who did he leave at Philippi a few years ago to... to Train and teach the church? Timothy. Excuse me. No, no, not Timothy. Luke. He left Luke there in, in Philippi. And so the us here now is Paul and Luke. The rest have gone ahead to Troas. They, they went by boat uh, from Corinth because the plot, wasn't, the, the plot wasn't to kill them. The plot was to, to kill Paul. So Paul went by land thwarting their, their, their plot to kill him. He found out that evidently it was going to be something at sea that they were going to do to, to sink his ship or whatever. Um, but these other fellows went on ahead to Troas and they're waiting for him. Verse 6, We sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days and then we stayed there seven days. And on the first day of the week, we talked about this last week, that it was, they, they met on the first day of the week as a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we said that it, it wasn't, uh, that, that the reason they did it on Sunday now, the first day of the week, was because the tomb was empty, but the throne was occupied. Jesus Christ was no longer in that tomb. He was sitting on the throne at the right hand of his Father because the work was completed. He was crucified and he rose again to save us from our sins. It's the only way that we can be saved. There is no other name under there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's not salvation in any other Acts 4:12. On the first day of the week we were gathered together to break bread. And, and we, I don't know if I won't for the sake of time this morning, but write down Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. 
And there's a verse in there that talks about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves. And a lot of people like to pick just that part of that out of there to, to, to kind of needle you if you haven't been getting to church and you haven't been in the services like you should be. But they leave out the best part of that. The reason you need to be in church is so that we can encourage you and so that you can encourage us. That's what Paul is doing here back to verses 1 and 2. He's trying to encourage the brothers to strengthen them up so that they have a desire to come together on the first day of the week to worship the Lord. And we, we, we tend to, in that Hebrews section, to, 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 point, po- to poke people in the eye. That's not the goal. Read, read the whole context there, folks. We need you to be here so that you can encourage us and so that we can encourage you. That's our responsibility as believers. That's why it's disappointing that only four or five of you were encouraged this week by other believers in this church. We need to be about that business every day, every week. Is to encourage and lift up one another. To lift one another up in the Lord. To pray for one another. To visit somebody that's lonely. They got together on the first day of the week. Tony says, yet there remains a spirit of indifference to weekly gatherings among many professing Christians. Many feel they're too important to make time for Jesus Christ and his people. They think they should invest their time elsewhere. But gathering with the church is the best investment of time you could possibly make. If you aren't prioritizing the assembly of the redeemed, beware. It may indicate that your relationship with Jesus isn't where it should be. Understand that there is a vertical and a horizontal dimension to the Christian meetings. Both have tremendous benefit for the individual and for the crowd. Every believer needs the encouragement that comes not only from the risen king, but also from the king's people. You have a role to play in the weekly assembly. You come not to be entertained, but to encourage and receive encouragement for the good of your own soul and for the good of the souls of your brothers and sisters. Protect corporate worship times. Uh, I can't remember who I was sharing with somebody this week. When I was a little kid playing Little League, Coach knew Wednesday nights I wasn't going to be there. If we had a game scheduled for Wednesday night because us going, now, and tell me, I'll be honest with you, as a nine-year-old kid, I didn't always appreciate that fact because I wanted to be playing ball. But I learned a valuable lesson because Mom made sure I was at prayer meeting and Bible study on Wednesday night at church. Because that was a priority. And today we have, we have travel teams of all sorts of different sports. And, and when I was a kid growing up, nobody ever thought of scheduling a practice or a game on Sunday. Wednesday, Wednesday night was a special thing that, that you know, kids thought that was kind of weird because I, would, you know, I had to go to church on Wednesday night. You've got to prioritize Sunday, folks. You've got to put Sunday ahead of family. You've got to put Sunday ahead of activities, athletics. I don't care if your kid's on the state championship travel team of whatever sport. 
They need to know and understand that God's house, God's people, God's worship has priority. Because what you're telling them is that whatever sport they're playing is more important than God. Ouch, I forgot to tell you to get your feet up off the floor so your toes didn't get stepped on. I don't care. we got to hear it, people. We're teaching our kids that other things are more important than God and coming to the, to the, to the church to worship God, to the building. We are the church. This is not the church. We are the church. But we got to come together and make God's time a priority. And as, as, the, as the days go on, it's going to get tougher, and we're going to wonder why people aren't standing firm. It's because we set a lousy example for them. We need you here to encourage us, and you need to be encouraged as well. We have a responsibility to be here. Thanks, Tony, for helping me on that. <laughs> Last week we talked about the, the three points in, in the, the main verses from 6 to, to uh, 12 was that they celebrated on the first day of the week because it was the day of the Lord's resurrection. Then that they celebrated when they were together and they had a meal, they celebrated the Lord's Supper. And um, the third part was that when they came together, it was to partake in the word of the Lord, to hear the word preached. And I did go back this week and look up that Greek word, dialegomai, to, to tell us that when Paul started preaching at sundown, that it was a, it was a discourse. And if you get from that, there's, you, you get the word dialect, or, or that, that there was a discourse, that there was a time for Q&A from the, from the dialegomai. Dialegomai, there we go. i got to slow down. Dialegomai. Um, in, in that he wasn't just preaching that whole time. But there was discussion, there was questions, there was answers. It was, it was for the, the benefit of the people there. It was so that they would grow, so that they'd have a backbone, so that they would stand firm when times get tough. And then we remember, you know, Eutychus fell out of the window. Paul went down and laid on him and prayed, and, and through the power of God, it wasn't through Paul's power, but it was through the power of God, Eutychus' life was restored to him. We didn't get to uh, really through 13 to 16. It's a, it's a travel itinerary again. We were going ahead to, uh, to the ship and set sail for a sauce, intending from there to take Paul on board, for thus he had arranged it, intending himself to go to by land. Luke didn't even stick with him on that 20-mile walk. Paul did it by himself. He wanted that time, kind of like a little bit, a little bit kind of different time than Dwayne and Jane had. He had about a 20-mile walk, but he just needed that quiet to, to, to be alone with the Lord. And so Paul walked that 20 miles. Probably took him, they said, they guessed about 10 hours or so. But he just, just was... <sighs> be still and know that he is God. Be still. It's hard for us to do that in these days. 
But be still. Listen to God. Listen to what he has for your heart. Verse 15, they sailed from there. We arrived the following day opposite Chios. And the next day we crossed over to Samos. And the next day we came down to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus in order that he might not have to spend more time in Ephesus. For he was hurrying in Jerusalem to get to Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called them to the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, and that'll be the next couple of weeks sermons. But he, he, he bypassed Ephesus because he knew, he knew in his heart he'd get stuck there for longer than he wanted to be there. But he, he, he wanted to address, so he, when he got to Miletus, which is down here, south Ephesus is up here, Miletus is down here on the coast. And he, he, there's your Samos, your Chios, your Mytilene. Okay, the different islands that they passed around. And what's significant, and I, I learned something this week, it's kind of, that doesn't really matter in, in eternity, but it's kind of a neat thing to learn, is that they, they would take off early in the morning when the winds, this time of the year, the winds come from the north in the Aegean Sea. And in the late afternoon, they wane, and by sunset, it's just dead calm, so they don't get anywhere. That's why it took them five days to, to make that boat trip down there. Um, again, an opportunity to, to just slow down and catch their breaths a little bit before they, they push on and get to Jerusalem. Now, the part we kind of went over, missed last week, I, I've got a whole list of stuff I'm not going to get to again this week. That's all right. Um, Luke draws a parallel to the, to the um, in, in, his, in the book of Luke, he draws the parallel of Jesus and his destination of Jerusalem in Acts, he draws the parallel of Paul and his destination and journey to Jerusalem. I'm going to draw some comparisons here real quick. They both traveled with a group of disciples. They, both opposed, they were opposed by hostile Jews who plotted against their lives. They both made or received three successive uh, predictions of their sufferings. They were both handed over to Gentiles. Both were declared, um, both declared their readiness in their own lives to lay their lives down. Both were determined to complete their ministry. Uh, they weren't going to stop short and give up. They both expressed abandonment to the will of God. And Luke surely intended his readers to, to not draw a comparison, not that we are to worship or pray to Paul, that wasn't his intention at all, but it's to understand that Paul was following in the footsteps of his Savior, the example that was set to him. And then Paul draws those parallels just so that we can see uh, what, what, or Luke, Luke, excuse me, Luke draws those parallels in his writings that we would see what Paul was willing to go through to follow in the footsteps of his Savior. Now, the, the Lord's Supper, we know, uh, as they participated, and it's just briefly uh, mentioned in verse 7 there, uh, Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, we were gathered together to break bread. If you look down to verse 7, uh, they broke, uh, when they had gone back up, he had broken the bread and eaten. That's different, and, and the, the Greek pulls, the, pulls that out, the difference there, um, in, if you... Verse 11, I can't blame Paul. He spoke from sunset until midnight. That's when Eutychus fell out of the window, went down and revived him. He came back. He had a little something to eat. I mean, it was midnight. Who doesn't like a midnight snack, right? And, and if you follow on, they, they, they went on until sunrise. 
So, yeah, he needed some nourishment. So that's, that's the distinction there is that verse 11 is a meal, whereas verse 7 is, is the breaking of bread is, is what we call communion today. Part of that, that getting together to encourage one another, to build one another up, is to do and participate, partake of the Lord's Supper for the purpose of, of unity. The, the slaves and the masters would, would come together to this meal and sit side by side. And in that society, is just totally unheard of. Slaves didn't eat with their masters. But it was a testimony to the community and to the church, or excuse me, <coughs> it was a testimony to the community that in Christ there's a different relationship between slaves and masters. Some of, some of the Commentators from a couple hundred years ago, all of them agreed that you should have communion every Sunday. We obviously don't do that, but we are going to do it today. God's Word doesn't tell us how often to do it. Now, I, I would say what, what, they, what they did do is when they had dinner together, then they would have the Lord's Supper after the dinner. So next Sunday, we're going to start. We're going to have potluck every single Sunday. And then we'll have communion every single Sunday when we're done with potluck, right? I like potlucks. But they did it to come together. And the scripture says in in 1 Corinthians 11, doesn't say how often to do it, but it says as often as you do do it, do it in remembrance of me. So if you would, we're going to stand and we'll sing how deep the Father's